Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Welcome back. We hope you had a wonderful week. And here we are with Mishnah Chet. Yehuda ben Tabai v'Shimon ben Shatach kiblu mehem. Yehuda of Tabai and Shimon, the son of Shetach, received the tradition from them. Yehuda ben Tabai Omer, Yehuda ben Tabai says, Al Do not make yourself an advocate before the judges. And when the litigants are standing before you, you should view them as being guilty. And when they are dismissed from before you, then they should be viewed as innocent. Provided that they have accepted upon themselves the judgment. So here, Akiva, we're making the transition from talking about who we should be friends with, who we should live with, who our neighbors should be, to how one should view people in court who are before us. And I think that we see an interesting perspective here, right? That is, to a certain extent, the opposite of the American justice system. In the American justice system, we're always taught, very famously, you are innocent until proven guilty. Where here, the Mishnah is suggesting that you should view, that the judge should view every litigant as being guilty until the course is finished, until the case is finished, and then after that, they can be seen as innocent. So another case of following along with uh, Mishnah Bab of so, you're correct. On its surface, it would definitely seem to be, uh, to be contradictory. But again, I want to suggest two things. One is a general view of the world, and the second is if you are a judge in a court case. So, if you already have people who are coming in a court case, that means a couple of things. Number one, they've not been able to work things out between them amicably. Number two, they've chosen, and therefore have chosen to come to court. Number two, that when you're looking at these litigants before you, there's clearly going to be one who is guilty and one who is innocent, assuming we have litigants who are against one another, even if one of them is the state. And so the question becomes, well, if I look at them as both being innocent or having no issue, then how can I decide against either of them? 
right? If you and I went to court against each other, going back to uh, friends who might lend each other money, if we, if we were saying that one of us owed the other one a certain sum of money, they said, well, you're both innocent, so, you know, you don't owe him, he doesn't owe you, it should all be good, right? But no, that means one of us has lost. But, so, I mean, I guess part of the challenge is it doesn't, at, at least on the surface, it doesn't differentiate between the different types of times you might go in front of a judge. And we know that even when this was being passed down, there were different ways where you would end up in front of a judge. There were, if, you, if your ox destroyed somebody else's things that might land you in front of a judge. If you killed someone, that might land you in front of a judge too. It would be a very different situation though because we know that we had, we were told not only to set up judges but to set up police and people to guard the laws. Correct. I would argue that there's really only two types of court cases and one could even make the argument that they are truly all one type. So the first is Two people who are coming against each other, one wants to make a claim against the other, right? And, and that's and that's generally considered a financial dispute. And I, I would say that certainly in that case, I can understand why the the judge would have to be viewing both parties as uh as, as in the wrong, because that way they're going to listen to all the information provided. The second type is when it is the state that is bringing forth the case against an individual, either for financial reasons or um, for criminal reasons. So that being the case, it is the duty of the state to represent the people who live there. And if that is what is happening, then you have to assume that the that the litigator or the in, in this case of the of the rabbis, the judges would also be the litigators or, or the the questioners, that they would be delving into the case in order to decide is this someone who has broken the fabric of society? Is this somebody who has pushed against society in such a way that we have to we have to set a model of, and punish them either by fine or by imprisonment or possibly even by death penalty? And depending on the nature and the severity of what they've done wrong, do what are the consequences? Or alternatively, were they not wrong? In which case we should say that they are innocent and set them free. But the reason that that case may be similar to the two people who are coming in, in, in a monetary way is that there is a, there are two parties. Sometimes we think that when the state is being represented, there's only one party that is the, the defendant. But the purpose of having someone who is a litigant 
from the side of the of the state or, or the people is because we need those police officers to be supported. We need those uh, those laws to be supported because otherwise, right? We know that if no one is following them, then what's the point of doing them? But doesn't this suggest the opposite, where you're viewing the the state as wrong? Correct. You're viewing the state as wrong, and you're viewing the the defendant as wrong. It is the opposite of of assume everyone's innocent. It's assume everyone is incorrect, and then look to find what is correct. I don't know. That still seems like you're uh, you're you're taking a position before you should take a position, because should isn't it supposed to be that the judge is not swayed and listens to all the facts? So I think that's very true in a in the in the secular court that we are. Oh, in the Jewish taught, court, it says that the the judge has to be that we are taught about in the perfect setting. I think in reality, the Torah recognizes that people come with presuppositions and with um, with expectations, and therefore, the Torah is saying, if you if you believe that everyone is a little bit wrong, and it is your job to find truth, you are more likely to work diligently than to say, you know what, we're just gonna we're we're just gonna assume everybody's innocent here, and and try and you know paper things over. And I will say, I have minimal experience with Bate Din today, but in the experiences I have had, sometimes the most common thing to happen, especially in financial matters, is what is called a pshara, which is a, um, a, a sort of an agreement in the middle, right? So this guy says, you owe me $300. This guy says, I don't owe you any money. So let's split the difference, pay him $150, and everybody's, everybody's a little bit unhappy, right? But that doesn't seek truth. It seeks compromise. And I think if the goal is to seek truth, you have to be willing to say, somebody is wrong and somebody is right. And it is my job to dive deep into this and try and figure out which is which. Okay, but Avi, it doesn't say that. Uh, I do like your point about uh, how everybody's a little unhappy doesn't make it satisfactory because we know that that's not accurate. I mean, and and compromise is not about everybody's a little unhappy. Uh, clearly, you've just come across a, a major issue within relationships in general where we view compromise as, okay, everybody's miserable. Uh, compromise is not only is compromise not everybody is miserable a little bit, but it's also not necessarily based off of one piece is every piece is always agreed upon, right? So compromise can be we're gonna do this now, 
which is what I want, and then we will do something else later, which is what you want. And I guess the the fact is, is I agree that that doesn't work within a justice system, uh, because that's not justice, that's compromise. Uh, but I also don't know, I, I, I don't see anything in reading this Mishnah that suggests that all of you, everybody, is a little bit wrong. I hear very firm uh, distinctions of saying the judge should view everyone is guilty until the judgment is... And, and when the judgment is made, then everybody else should accept the judgment. And to me, that, that sounds so different and off compared to what we what we read at the end uh, of the Torah, which, where it reiterates, right? It says again, set yourself judges, and they need to be honest, and they need to be balanced, and they need to not have a stake in the game. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that the judge should view everybody as guilty first. This seems to be a complete disruption of what the Torah teaches us. So... If you are looking for a interpretation that is more in line, there are those that say that it doesn't literally mean that the judge should be thinking of them as guilty, but rather should make every effort to establish the authenticity of each statement. I agree with that statement, but whereas the Torah is from Hashem, Pirkei Avot is not. And there are times where we say we don't hold or we don't follow the opinion of a particular rabbi. Um, and particularly in Pirkei Avot, where the, the suggestions are more moral and prescriptive than legal. So you're saying I the think, moral th- thing is to I think view it, everybody it as might guilty. Be, no, no, I think it might be acceptable to say we should not interpret Yehuda ben Tavai literally. In other words, we may not hold by his opinion that maybe we shouldn't look at each person as they come in as being guilty. Ah, I mean, I love that you brought that up because I think it begs an even more important question in general we have these amazing chachamim, these amazing rabbeim who have passed down a a liturgy of knowledge. And we had plenty of people at plenty of times who said different things. We know that's, that's where the joke came from. You put two rabbis in a room, you get three answers. So I have to ask, here we have a Mishnah by an individual who we're saying we can understand that maybe that's not what they we hold by. How did he make it into the Mishnah then? So we have to understand that Mishnah is a redacted conversation. Rabbi Huda Hanasi and approximately 200 of the Common Era redacted the Mishnah and included positions that do not become the official halacha. In some cases, they actually contradict directly with other opinions in the same Mishnah. 
So, for instance, one of the famous Mishnayot that talk about what time should tefillah happen, there are three different opinions. Should it happen by, if you're talking about morning tefillah, does it happen by the third hour? Does it happen by noon? Must it happen as soon as the sun rises? Right? And so having these different opinions gives us an opportunity to explore and have a conversation about what, what the intentionality of tefillah is, when should it happen, when is it the ideal to happen, and when is it allowed to happen even if it isn't ideal. And I think this is very different than the type of legal tome that we may be used to in terms of something like the Shulchan Aruch or the Rambam. The Rambam and, and, and Rav Yosef Karo wrote books of halacha that are organized by topic so that they can be reference books. Mishnah is much more of a conversation. And if you want that full conversation, you really look in the Gemara where there is conversation and there is debate and there is discussion and there are tangents taken in the middle of those conversations. Um, and then you return to the topic. Because again, it's much more like a natural conversation that might happen than it is a reference book of law. Having learned that there are Mishnayot and different texts that might be contradictory. I guess the ultimate question is, is what value can be gleaned from something even if we don't find it agreeable or if it's proven to be wrong? What value can we learn? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.